Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Thank you so much. Uh, great to be here. Uh, good morning, everyone. Before we start, let's just go through the memory verse for the month. Uh, can anyone read it? It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Somebody can read it or probably someone has memorized it. Can I read it? Yes, please. Okay. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were brought by a, with price. So glorify God in your body. Amen. I will ask you to read scriptures uh, when I'm going through something. I do have a bad cough, so I'm trying my best. So your help with reading the scriptures will really, really help. So today we're going to actually go through Leviticus chapter 10 and 11. Uh, actually, can somebody start in prayer? All right. Thank you, Father God for this morning. Thank you for the freshness of a brand new day. Lord, we are so thankful for this HeartStrong family. We're so thankful that we have this community where we can grow in your word. And I pray today, Lord, your anointing over Anita as she teaches. And Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to receive whatever it is that you want to impart to us today, Lord. We need your truth, God, to stay on that narrow path, to keep um, doing your purpose and plan that you have for our lives. So we open our hearts to you today. Come Holy Spirit, teach us through your word. We are so thankful for you. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Again, today we'll be looking closely at Leviticus chapters uh, 10 and 11. Before we go into the chapter, just, just quickly talk about the previous two chapters that you would have probably read in the weekend. In it, we read that Aaron and his four sons went through ritualistic ceremonies and were anointed with the anointing oil. The ritual was very important, as even though they were born in Aaron's line, they became fully priests only after they were consecrated. Then we see that Aaron and his sons began their ministry by offering the sin offering, burnt offering, and the peace offering on behalf of the people of Israel. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire just came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. So as soon as the people saw that, the people shouted and fell on their faces. That's what we read in the previous two chapters. Now in chapter 10, we read that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Habayu, ended up failing in their duties as priests and were judged immediately by God. The sons offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. It's not very clear in this chapter on what fire they used, but for sure they used a fire that was forbidden in God's presence. Because of their disobedience, a fire came out from the heavens and consumed them. In the previous chapter, the fire came from the altar and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. 
I'm sure that the people were rejoicing because God had accepted their offering. But the scenario just changed a little bit here. This time the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed Nadab and Abihu. God was obviously angry here. Let us quickly read chapter 10, verse 1, if somebody can read it, just to understand what happened. So now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered an authorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commended them. It's believed that the fire that they should have used should have come from an anointed altar. I'm not going to focus on what bronze altar they should have taken the fire from. Instead, I think it's important to understand the sin they committed. At the end of verse 1, we read that they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Nadab and Abayu deliberately did something that God had commanded them not to do and thereby disobeyed God. Disobedience is the root cause of a lot of our problems from the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and the entire human race was cursed because of that. You know, just like us, we could have all been walking around the Garden of Eden this morning with Jesus having our own mango smoothie or your pineapple or strawberry smoothie, whatever you like. But we're all on our Zoom call hanging out with me. But maybe at the end of the session, you can tell me what's your favorite smoothie. Um, but we could all be just hanging out with Jesus. But Due to disobedience, they were all, the entire human race was punished for it and banned from the Garden of Eden. Nadab and Abayu knew the consequence of disobedience, yet they did something God commanded them not to do. So what happened to them? In verse 2, we read, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This may sound harsh to us, but they had a very important role. They were the intermediaries between the Lord and the people of Israel. They were specially selected by God, and yet they miserably failed in fulfilling their calling to service. The severity of God's judgment was also the role that these two priests were in. In verse 3, we read, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I have to remember, among those who are near me, and I will be uh, sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Among those who are near me, the priests were the, were the only ones who could enter the Holy of Holies, intercede for the people by offering sacrifice, and glorify the Lord before all people. Their role was critical and sacred to the survival of the community. The smoking incense symbolized the rising prayers that the people offered to God. Nadab and Abayu knew their sacred roles, yet they offered unauthorized fire, which God had not commanded them. A similar incident occurred in King Hosea's reign when he unlawfully attempted to offer incense to the Lord. He was not an authorized priest, 
So God's touched the king with leprosy. You can read that in Second Chronicles. The severity of the penalty showed the seriousness that sin has for the person who approaches God. Luckily, we don't have to sacrifice animals and birds for our sins. Imagine the number of animals that we would have had to uh, sacrifice. I'm sure we would all be vegetarians by now because of all the animals that would have been slaughtered for all our sins. We are so blessed that we can enter his presence freely now. So as we grow in the Lord and as we spend time reading his word and speaking it, we must be very careful to remember that we serve our holy God. Now we may not see fire coming and scorching people at the altar at a church, but there is a cost to sin. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Ours may not be a physical death right away, but it could be a spiritual death, which is worse. We must be very careful on how we approach God. Going back to chapter 10, we see that Moses called Michelle and Elzaphan, lovely names, and asked them to carry the scorched bodies. As the anointing oil was upon Aaron and the younger sons, they were not allowed to leave God's presence. Aaron knew the sacredness of being anointed, so he remained obedient and he stayed in the sanctuary. God was not cold-hearted though about Aaron's feelings regarding his sons, nor was he punishing Aaron for his son's behavior. Aaron's spiritual priority was to remain holy and carry out his duties for the sake of the community. In fact, Aaron and his other two sons, Eliezer and Ithamar, were asked not to let their hair hang loose or tear their clothes and mourn for Nadab and Abihu. If they mourned, it would have been interpreted that they were disagreeing with God's justice. But the Israelite people were allowed to mourn for the two dead priests. Also, since dead bodies made those who touched them ceremonially unclean, as did even being in the presence of the dead, Aaron and his sons were not allowed to touch or mourn. The cousins of Aaron, who were Levites and thus qualified to care, care for the holy precincts, carried away the scorched remains by using Nadab and Abayu's burnt offerings as stretchers. Scary, huh? In verses 8 and 9, we see that Aaron and his surviving sons Eliezer and Ithamar were prohibited from drinking wine or any strong drink. It was their duty to perform sacred rituals and had to distinguish between holy and the common, um, between unclean and the clean, and to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord had spoken to them by Moses. It was imperative that Aaron and his sons were at their best in carrying out their sacred duties. It was also the duties of the surviving sons to eat the food offerings besides the altar. Their consumption symbolized them sharing a meal with the Lord or dining together at the Lord's house. However, we see that Aaron and the remaining sons 
didn't eat the sin offering in this instant instance. So Moses was really angry with them. Uh, in 1017, he actually gets upset with them. And he says, um, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? Since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. But Aaron responds by saying that after everything that happened that day, they, uh, would the Lord even approve of them eating it? The problem is that the eaten portion of the sacrifice was an act of joy and thanksgiving. In Deuteronomy 12, 7, it actually says, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand. So if they were not rejoicing, they shouldn't be actually eating out of the food that was left. So Aaron thought it would be better to skip that portion of the worship than to offer the Lord less than his best or in a way that was against how God wanted it done. And Moses actually accepts that answer. Something that's also important to the end of the verse seven that I really thought was really cool was since it's a, it says, you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. As high priests, they were anointed to bear the iniquities of the congregations. They were mediators between God and man. The high priests were the ones who had to represent the nation and offer the sacrifices for the people. You know, but for us, when we read the sin offering and the burnt offering and the grain offering and all the rituals, they all may seem like a long and painful process. But what God was actually teaching his people, the importance of holiness and the sacred role of the holy priest that could bear the iniquity of the people. This was a visible representation of what the greater high priest, Jesus, could do for the world. In Hebrews, if somebody, somebody wants to read, that would be great. You can find quickly in your Bible, Hebrews 7, 26 to 28. We can see that Jesus is our high priest uh, in this verse. So if somebody wants to read Hebrews 7, 26 to 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did it once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Wow, I just love, love, love this verse. It's just amazing to see the world needed a high priest, holy mm -hmm. and innocent and unstained, to die for our sins. 
after a while, the animals just were, well, the animals were never enough. The priests were not holy enough. Like we see the example of Neda ben Abayu. So Jesus had to come for us. We read that he did this once for all. It didn't have to happen every day or going and giving sacrifices or anything like that. But once for all, when he offered up himself, to give eternal redemption for his people. We don't need the Levite priests to offer sacrifices for us, not weekly or monthly or annually. Had to be done once for all. You know, growing up in India, I've seen people going to their hometowns. Even now they go every year with their families. At their temples, they still sacrifice animals for their sins and the sins of their family members. Not only that, they, some people hurt themselves by piercing different sharp items into their bodies, like in their tongues, their ears, and um, I don't know, the lips. It's just really scary. They hurt themselves, literally hurt themselves, and they have blood pouring out of their bodies. They walk on fire, um, they whip themselves, and they shed blood. And they do more things that you probably can't even comprehend from here. But they believe that everything that they do is a way of restoration for their sins, right? So they try to please God by giving all, they cut their hair and they just um, go, they have to do so many things or get, um, take a bath in certain rivers just so they have restoration in their lives. But we are so blessed we have a greater high priest who gave himself so we can wake up daily and know that he can forgive us today and for all eternity. We have a God who would sacrifice himself for his people. So we don't have to do it again weekly or daily, but once for all, Jesus became the high priest because the high priest like Nadab and Habayu were never enough. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 11. There we see the focus in this chapter is clean and unclean animals, or I would say dietary restrictions for the people of Israel. Um, like without any warning, the topic in this just chapter just quickly shifts from rituals, offerings, errands, sons to just clean and unclean animals. Um, sometimes the topics in the books of Leviticus may seem irrelevant or boring when we read about the different offerings and the clean and unclean animals. But something interesting about Leviticus is that we will continuously read, Lord spoke to Moses. Lord spoke to Moses throughout this book. Probably one of the books in the Bible where actually God's word are directly recorded. The verses show should be highlighted in red if you ask me like it's highlighted when Jesus speaks in the New Testament really cool you imagine every line in Leviticus was highlighted because God directly spoke to Moses, spoke to Moses. even though they were written in the people uh, for even though they were written to the people of Israel many many years ago it's still relevant to us in many ways so let us um, see what God is speaking to the people of Israel and to us in chapter 11. We see God gives them instruction on food that they should or should not eat. This shows that God was 
and is interested in the lives of the people and all the details in their lives. We sometimes think that God does not care about the small things in our lives and we shouldn't trouble him. For God, nothing is too big or small. Something that is too big for us is still small for God. So big or small, we may need to, we need to speak to him throughout the day. Praying before eating may seem like a small thing. We may think oh, it's just a daily fries or chicken or a casserole or samosas or butter chicken. I prefer that that we're eating every day, we still need to remember to bring everything to him in prayer. One question that maybe we can talk about at the end is, what are the small things that we forget to thank God for, to bring to God in prayer every day? Back to chapter 11, God speaks to the people about clean and unclean animals, fishes in the sea that has fins and scales, winged insects with jointed legs, unclean animals that swarm on the ground and, and the dead bodies, I guess, carcasses. I'm sure that there are a lot of reasons why he separates them as clean and unclean. One reason could be for proper nourishment to our bodies. The creator knows that we don't get a lot of vitamins by eating ravens and seagulls and mole rats and lizards. I'm not complaining that they're unclean animals. I really don't want to see them on my dinner table. God prohibited his people from eating those animals for their own good. If, he, um, if you read the list of animals, you'll see that they were largely unclean feeders or were carriers of diseases. Many diseases could be transferred from unclean animals to humans during consumption. Also back in those days, a lot of research studies were not done in labs. We don't have awesome researchers or lab assistants. So God had to provide this information to his people. A lot on clean and unclean animals has changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot has changed during our time too. That's why we find it so hard to understand why God spoke about clean and unclean animals in the Bible. I remember when I was a kid again, many, many, many years ago back in India, I've seen pigs eat, eat fecal matters and, and living near the sewages and garbage areas. You know, the city would send trucks and some people to go monthly to capture and kill those pigs as they were afraid that they could spread diseases. People hated seeing these dirty pigs in the neighborhood. We never ate pigs when I was a kid because of the conditions they lived in. Later, when I was a teenager, when I went to a farm, I saw that they had pigs that were kept clean and they were eating vegetables. I was very surprised. Um, the pigs were getting raised in better conditions. Then slowly I saw the restaurants also started serving them. Pork roast, pepperoni, bacon, whatever you asked for, it was on the menu. It showed up slowly. I'm sure back in the Old Testament days, there was a good reason that God had given these dietary restrictions and it was later removed in the New Testament. The first set of animals we read about in chapter 11 were land animals and the criteria for determining the proper um, four-footed animals were two factors. One of them was um, they had to have completely split hooves and second, chewing the cud. For example, cattle, sheep, and goats. 
animal animals that didn't qualify were like camel, rock, badger, hare, and pig. Secondly, we read about the creatures of the sea and rivers. Everything in the sea and river that had fin and scales could be eaten. Sea creatures that crawled rather than swimming were forbidden from eating. Thirdly, um, birds and flying insects. There are no criteria given for birds. Instead, a list of forbidden birds, such as raven, hawk, falcon, and vulture are mentioned. For insects, those bound to the ground on all floors were unsuitable, but those with jointed legs that enabled them to jump, such as locusts, were edible. So now we understand why John the Baptist ate locusts. He probably didn't read the first few verses of chapter 12. He, he didn't realize he could actually eat a goat and a chicken, but he decided to eat locusts. So I don't know if he was very good in reading his Bible. Oh, don't write anything about me. No, he did read his Bible. Um, but I think he forgot. Um, that's what he ate, locusts. Finally, uh, we read about uh, we read about the ground creatures, which are probably the least favorable of the unclean animals. None of these ground creatures, such as snakes, rodents, and creepy things, were accepted for consumption. Touching the carcasses of the unclean animals were equally detestable, and they had to make themselves clean after they touched it. Some people wonder why God who created the heaven and earth prohibited the people from eating some animals. I'm very glad that we don't have to eat these animals. But um, there's also some spiritual meanings to these scriptures. For example, when we read about eating animals with two hooves and animals that chew the cud, we could take the two hooves as God asking us to walk as not only hearers, but also doers of the word. And his word, we chew or meditate day and night. I'm sure there's spiritual meaning to every word in this chapter and every unclean and clean animal, but I leave it to you to meditate and learn from God on the spiritual meaning regarding the other unclean and unclean animals. The hygienic value of this diet has long been recognized, but these are only secondary for me. You see the primary reason in chapter 11, verses 44 to 45, where it says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We serve a holy God, and he's calling his people to be holy. Israelites were called to be holy and consecrated, unlike their neighboring nations. God is calling his people to be different from others. Doesn't, doesn't mean you have to stay off the grid and stay away from people or try to follow every law to every letter or period or comma in the Bible. Being holy means that we are to be set apart, but not to live in isolation. We need to stay away from sin, but live a life closer to the heart of God. God says in verse 5, 45, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. 
when God brought the people from Egypt, his intention was not to give them more laws and make their lives difficult, but his purpose was to free them from the Egyptians and to free them from sins, to not to be a slave to sin, but enjoy a life of freedom. This is the same for us too. If you see in Matthew 15, 17 to 20, Jesus says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So what we eat doesn't defile us, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart that really defiles a person. We need to be careful to remove the unclean ways from our hearts and be consecrated by the greater high priest. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. We thank you uh, for your faithfulness, oh Father. We're just so grateful, oh God. I don't want to wake up with the attitude of Father that uh, it's just another day, oh God. But Father, we wake up and we rejoice in your presence. I thank you for everyone in this Zoom meeting, oh Father. I just pray that your presence will be with them, oh Father. I pray that wherever they go today, oh Father, let them feel that you are their holy priest, their high priest, oh Father, who actually gave himself for us. And I thank you. I pray your anointing, your Holy Spirit blessings will be upon them, oh Father. Just praise you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of merch like hoodies and t-shirts and mugs to remind you of this journey of discipleship that you're on. You can log in to heartstrong.life forward slash login to access your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible bootcamp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together. <laughs>